Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. And our text is verses 10 and 11. And you will see them on the back of your sermon outline as well. The Apostle Peter writes to his churches, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yesterday was the Oyster Bay Triathlon. How many of you participated in the triathlon? Do you know what you have to do in a triathlon? Hundreds of people came to Oyster Bay and they swim for half a mile in the bay, and then they run out and they jump on a bicycle, and they bicycle for nine miles up through the hills of Brookville and back down into Oyster Bay, and then they climb off the bicycles and they run for three miles to the finish line. My next-door neighbor loves this. He does it every year. But he told me last week, he said, John, I'm getting a little too old for this. So he said, the great thing about the Oyster Bay Triathlon is that you get to do, you can do it as a relay. I said, really, what do you mean by that? He said, I'm a good runner, but my brother is a fantastic cyclist, and my cousin is an outstanding swimmer, and so the rules permit us to do it as a relay. And I thought to myself, that's great, each part using their special talent for the whole purpose, serving the whole team. And what did that remind me of? What does that sound like? Every part doing its part, the right people, we say around here, doing the right things for the right reasons. And the analogy to the church is outstanding because, as you know, the mission of the church is not a sprint. It's really more like what? A marathon or a triathlon. And so today we come to this text, two short verses that are really one one paragraph where the Apostle Peter crescendos to his vision for what the church should be in her mission. And we're just going to take it apart phrase by phrase, and ask God to open our eyes and confirm in every one of us His will for us, okay? What does He say here right at the beginning? He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Why do you serve? Because you have been given a gift. You have been uniquely gifted to serve for the common good of the whole team. You're scratching your head. You're saying, didn't we talk about this last week and a couple weeks ago? And this is fascinating. 
Because a lot of people think that the discussion of spiritual gifts and how the church is to operate just all belongs to the Apostle Paul. And guess what? The other great apostle, Peter, he happens to write the same, same thing, and the words that Paul uses, Peter uses here. He talks about charismata, gifts. Just like Paul said, unique gifts are given to every Every person who is born again, who has the Spirit of God, Peter says the same thing. And then he uses another word that we looked at last week. Paul talks about diakonos. What is that? That's service. And sure enough, Peter chooses that same word to describe what the gifted people do. They do works of service. So, excuse me for being redundant. You know, pastors are allowed to repeat themselves. A lot of times we need to hear the same things over and over, and the Apostle Paul says it, but now we come to a passage where the Apostle Peter says the same thing, and it bears repeating and bears applying. Listen, if you have the gift of shepherding, start a small group. Start a home fellowship group. Gather a couple folks and say, let's... let's Let's be pastored together. If you have the gift of teaching, then teach in your home fellowship group or become start a Bible study. I will be delighted to resource you and pray for you and encourage you and observe and make sure that and confirm that you do have those gifts. But go ahead. And if you say, but, but I'm the behind-the-scenes kind of person. I have the gift of helps. The New Testament explicitly says that some people just have the gift of helps. We need the upfront people, but we need also those who roll up their sleeves and give their time and their muscle and their brain to be participants in the various tasks of service in the church. Go to Maggie Laska and say, how can I help in the food pantry? Go to Karen Connolly and say, how can I serve in the thrift store? Go to Amilcar Fernandez or Sean Revan and say, what can I do around here to serve in the care of our property that we have? And, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Barbara Groff setting up the, the refreshments for us every week. Anybody with gifts of helps want to help make our time of hospitality richer and better for everybody else? Speak to Barbara. Well, in our text, it repeats what the Apostle Paul said, but then Peter adds another word that Paul doesn't. And he says that we are stewards of these gifts. And he introduces the idea of stewardship. And stewardship is not just about money, is it? When God looks at what He has given you, He has given you more than just capital assets. He has given you talents, gifts, and time, and God has charged you with the stewardship of everything that He's given you. Did you know that? This is hard for us. I thought I was in charge of my own life. No, you are in charge of the life God has given you. And there's a difference. One person says, I'm in charge of my own life. The other person says, I am a steward 
of the life God has given to me. When you live like this, when you think like this, and then you do deeds of service and exercise your gift, you are not just some do-gooder who's performing a little community service. What he says, look at the end of that first phrase, what he says is you become the dispensers of God's grace onto the lives of other people. And that makes all the difference in the world. You're a steward of God's grace. Every time you use your gift, God's grace that has come to you now flows through you. And that is our great privilege. That is our great privilege. Your life is significant, oh, my friends. Your life is significant because the grace of God is coming out through you. How marvelous that is. But now we come, point two, to the thrust of my message for today. Because the next phrase is absolutely crucial for us to get right, and it is devastating for the church if we get it wrong. Paul taught it. Now Peter is very clear and explicit. He says, look at this, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And this is the key, isn't it? Because the Christian life is not a sprint. Anybody can sprint for 50 yards. It is a marathon. And we sing that wonderful chorus in this church. We love to sing that song by faith. And in the chorus it says, Till the race is finished and the work is done, we will walk by faith and not by sight. That's our chorus, North Shore Community Church. We're singing this together. And Oh, my goodness, if you look on the back of the sermon outline, I know I always give you many references, but, but this is taught in so many passages. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers you for ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6, but it is the same God who empowers them in every one. Or, of course, of course, Ephesians 6, verses 11, 10 and 11, he says, finally, be strong, period. No, he doesn't say, be strong, period. What does he say? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And you read through the Psalms. And you read through Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. Runs through the whole Bible. And this is especially important for Long Islanders. Do you know why? <laughs> because Long Islanders are tired. Long Islanders get fatigued. The pace of life here on Long Island far exceeds Mayberry, North Carolina, doesn't it? The pace of life here, 
the traffic, the demands of work. I mean, you can't get anywhere in under half an hour. Anywhere. The pace of life is high. The taxes are enormous. The cost of living is high. Pastor John, I like what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense to me, but, but frankly, you don't know what I'm dealing with just to survive. This picture of being mobilized to serve Christ's kingdom is good on paper. But you're asking me to rearrange my priorities and to rearrange my life and to have God actually move the furniture on the deck of my life around. Oh, Lord, and I need strength. And I know what you're talking about. And so the passage that I cling to, I hope you cling to this passage, in Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, foreshadowing what Peter has to say, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Don't you love that promise? Do you know this promise? Verse 31, God obligates himself to you and to me. God obligates himself to you and to me that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Verse 29, I love the statement. He gives power to the, those who are fainting. To those who have no might, he increases his strength. Because fainting is a problem for all of us. Not just the elderly. Young people get weary. Young people get tired, frustrated. I don't care what age you are. Stress and exhaustion apparently happened in Isaiah's day as well, not just on Long Island, but in Isaiah's day. There was exhaustion. There was fainting of heart and stress. But God says, I will renew your strength. I did a word study this week. My Hebrew isn't what it used to be 30 years ago. So I, I read word studies, and I read this one commentator, Joseph Temple, who took the word uh, increase. He will increase uh, their strength. He increases. What does the word increase mean? And he says that that word in the Hebrew language speaks of generous abundance. When he gives the increased, it's like not just an apple tree with one apple on it, but a multitude of apples on the tree. He is generous when he gives strength to his people. So there is this, he's, uh, Isaiah is saying, wake up, people of God. God is going to increase your strength in a way that is abundant. 
But you say, that's nice for them, but my heart is cold. Like Tolley said, some saying, sometimes my heart seems far away, and sometimes I don't understand. It's well and good for the other holy Christians out there, but what about me? And in verse 31, Joseph Temple says, study the word renew. He renews their strength. It's the Hebrew word kalaf. And he says that is the word used for sprouting on a tree. How do I understand this? In my front yard, I have a large pin oak tree right on the sidewalk, between the sidewalk and the street. And, and I cut off the first 10, 12 uh, feet of branches so people walking by don't run into the branches. And in, so in the springtime, I clip off right down the side. I clip off all the branches, and it looks bare, and, the, and it looks dead right in the first 10 feet of the tree. But what happens every spring? Boing! <laughs> Out come the branches again. They are renewed, and it's the word for the sprouting. Out it comes. And the promise to you and to me, we who are weary, we who have fallen asleep in the light, we who are just too tired to get out of bed or too apathetic to get on board with the mission, he says God is coming and boing, he's going to sprout new strength in you for mission and ministry for the glory of Jesus Christ. I love this. How does it happen? And now he tells us, it happens for those who wait on the Lord. Who wait on the Lord. And that word is not sitting around twiddling your thumbs, waiting. But this is the Hebrew way of faith. Those who rely on the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. Those who depend on the Lord. Those who look to the Lord. And, and in John Yenchko's life, I use the word, those who surrender to the Lord. Because in my life, when I'm exhausted, stressed, or weary, you know what I need to do? I have this little ritual. I surrender to God. Right? Come out with your hands up. Or I take my clenched fist, and I open it up, and I say, God, I give it to you. It's a little ritual in my office. If there was a camera, you'd see me do this sometimes. Mm -hmm. I surrender. I trust. I believe. I look. I wait upon the Lord. Renew my strength. Have you ever prayed like that? I know you have. And God obligates himself to you and to me when we do this. He says, I will renew your strength. And suddenly, suddenly what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 13, for the New Testament believer becomes true, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Even rearrange my priorities and adjust my weekly schedule so I can be on mission uh, in, in purposefully in God's church. Yes, He can even do that. How do you wait on the Lord? Paul, Paul tells us so marvelously in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, the cross is the power of God. What does that mean? 
It means that our connection with God is restored by the cross of Jesus Christ, where sinful people like me are made clean and welcome in the presence of God, and the cross of Jesus Christ is like the insulation on the power cord so that the energy can come through without incinerating me. The cross is the power of God. Later on, he says, for Jesus Christ is the power of God. Later, or earlier on in, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. It is Trinitarian. Trinitarian. God the Father gives power. Jesus Christ himself and through his cross gives power. The Holy Spirit gives power. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Can you believe this today? Can you believe this promise today? Oh, North Shore Church, we need to pray, don't we? When you have ministry to do, if you're leading a small group, if you're teaching a Sunday school class, if you're an elder or deacon, if you're a servant, you need to pray. You need to wait on the Lord. Wait on the, seek the Lord. Be all prayed up before you go into the class. It's Friday night and you're tired and you've got to teach Sunday school on Sunday morning. Pray up. Wait on the Lord. Otherwise, you will just do it in your own strength. And what good will that be? They'll just get a whole lot of you. What do they need? They need a whole lot of Jesus. This is, this is discipleship. Moms and dads, as you disciple your children, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, elders, home fellowship group leaders, are you teaching your flock to wait on the Lord? Are you modeling for them faith, reliance, dependence, surrender to the Lord? That's our discipleship. It's, it's great for us to study the Bible, but it must lead us to actually have that dynamic, vital union with Jesus Christ. That's your goal in your discipleship. And then, not only for you to feed them, but what do you need to teach them to do? To feed themselves. Moms and dads, used with toddlers, kids with toddlers, folks with toddlers, you know, you take the, the food you prepared, you put it on the spoon, and then you put it in their mouth. But come on, pretty soon, what do you hope to teach them to do? You teach them to put the spoon in their hand and then take a nice spoonful of the food you've prepared and feed themselves. But mom and dad, you're not done. You're not done. You know why? Because, believe it or not, teenagers, your mother is not going to live with you forever. And you're going to need to learn to prepare food for yourself and feed yourself. And so moms and dads, your job is not done until you've actually taught them how to turn on the stove and cook a meal for themselves, to feed themselves, self-feeding. And as a church family, this, we're committed to this, every one of us learning how to wait on the Lord, to wait on the Lord. Now, you have what, picking up on our Oyster Bay Triathlon, you have the interval training. Does anyone know what interval training is? Interval training is where these marathon runners, what they do is they jog for nine minutes, then they sprint as fast as they can for one minute, and then they recover and jog for nine minutes, 
And then they sprint as fast as they can for one minute, and then they recover and jog for another nine minutes. And what that does is it gives endurance to the cardiovascular system better than any other training regimen there is, interval training. And our discipleship is like that. Sunday mornings as we're gathered here, that's the sprint. That's the intense time. But it's not over. Now then you, you through the week, you have your other sprint in your small group or your fellowship group, but then in between times, you're still moving forward, you see. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon that we live together. And the third point is very clear. We serve so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When my next-door neighbor wins the triathlon with his team, what does he get? He gets a medal. They get a nice big copper medal. And they get their photograph in the paper, and they get the glory. So that's where the analogy with the church breaks down. Because when you serve... And when you exercise your gifts, who gets the glory? Ah, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And when that happens, could that be true of us? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we are in sync with heaven? Because heaven we are told in Revelation 5, following the, the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, heaven explodes into a new song where the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven laud and magnify the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And they sang, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I looked... And I heard around the throne thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Church, dear church family, this is what we do. We join in the choirs of heaven and God gets glory. Did you happen to see the news conference on CNN this week when Dr. Kent Brantley was brought out of the isolation ward in his remarkable recovery from the Ebola virus? Did you see what millions of people around the world saw? It was an extraordinary moment because all CNN plays all over the world and Dr. Brantley came out of the isolation ward. And the doctors, the head of Emory Medical Center, infectious disease unit, said this man is clean and clear, presents no danger to anyone anywhere. And this dreaded Ebola virus has been eliminated from his body. And he turned to Dr. Brantley and he said, who is a missionary with Samaritan's Purse who contracted the Ebola virus, and he said, your character and your faith were an inspiration to us all. And then Dr. Brantley came to the podium and with quiet grace and confidence, he said, first and foremost, 
I give glory to God and to my Lord Jesus Christ for sparing my life. And I'm filled with gratitude for how he has used these marvelous doctors and nurses and, and those technicians here in this amazing medical center. And he thanked them, certainly as well. But, but do you get what was underneath it all in his life? Glory to God. Peter says, in everything, in everything, give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see yourself standing in his shoes? Yeah, I know you can. I know you can. I believe you will. Seek your giftedness. And then Peter says, use it as a steward of God's grace so that blessing pours out onto the church and out into the world, all for the glory of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? How we thank you, our Father, for Jesus. To him be glory forever and ever. And you have spoken in this marvelous passage that really preaches itself. You have spoken to us, to every one of us. And we want to be men and women, and we want to teach our children to wait upon you, to trust in you. We hear you this morning. We hear the call of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. May we be a part of this. Together we pray. For your glory, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.